welcome. To those of you that are here in the room, to those that are watching online, we are really glad that you're with us today. And I'm actually really excited to be able to facilitate this part of the service today. My name is Bill Cotrera, and I'm one of your elders. Um, and we get the chance to learn with and from each other today, which I think is just amazing. Um, for those of you that have been here for the last several months, we've been preaching verse by verse through the book of 1 Peter. Uh, so many great things. And as it comes to close today, we have the chance for us as a group to reflect and share what God has taught us. As you have often heard Mark say, we don't go to church, we are the church. And I actually think this is, today is one of those critical functions of being a church, where we get to encourage each other, we get to spur each other on, we get to share what we've learned, and we get to learn from each other. And so I'm really excited for the chance to hear from some of you around what the Holy Spirit has taught you through this First Peter series. I'm guessing, as you think about some of the insights that you might have had during this time, that some of them were hard. Hard insights, things that were convicting, things that were, we talked a lot about suffering and endurance. Those are not always easy to hear, but important lessons. Some of them might have been easier. Things that were very encouraging, things that are about hope. We talked a lot about living hope, things that are about joy. Uh, we can benefit from all of those. And for those of you that haven't been here, if you're new to us, that's also great. And hopefully you'll get a sense of where we've been over the last few months. And towards the end of the service today, we're actually going to start to look forward to where we're heading next. So the, the sermon series was entitled Faithful Living in a Foreign World. And we've spent some time on what does the faithful living part look like, some time talking about the foreign world, what, is, what, is, what was meant in the original context, what does it mean for us today. Um, one of the things that really struck me as I was looking back through my notes um, from the different sermons throughout this series is the many different phrases and ideas that Peter used to describe the believers. He used a lot of different phrases to describe the Gentile believers. So this was a book that was written to Gentile believers that were exiled and scattered throughout the region. And as Mark and Levi and Tim and many that have, have preached through the series have highlighted, there are a lot of similarities to the context that that group was experiencing and what many of us experience today. And so some of the phrases that, that jumped out that Peter used to describe believers, elect exiles, living stones, a royal priesthood, a chosen race, a family of missionary servants. Again, a lot of, a lot of things that really resonate with, with ideas that we talk about here, that hopefully you've heard some of that. But throughout our studies, we've had a lot of focus on the how to live within a culture that for us as believers might not necessarily be what it used to be or what it has been, and that it might be a culture that actually is experiencing some shifting. We've talked about that quite a bit, that Christianity, depending on where you are, might not be the majority anymore. We might be in the minority that we might not be at the center, but we, Christianity actually might be moving a little bit more towards the fringes, that we might not be respected as Christians in the world today. We probably even moving to, at times, disrespected, and how that, that's the context to the believers that Peter was writing to, but often very similar for us. I think it can be a very accurate summary. Again, depending on where you are, it probably varies based on the different contexts that you live, work, learn, and play in, but it can be very similar to that. And so I'd love to open up the floor for some of you to be able to share what God taught you throughout the course of this. I'm going to ask Molly and John to come around with mics. You don't have to come up to the stage. You don't have to be on screen, any of that. We will come to you with a mic, but we would love to hear some of the lessons that you all have learned, the things that, that God has taught you throughout the course of this sermon series. Nobody wants to be first. 
For those of you that have been in a city group with me, you know that I work with students and I'm happy to embrace that awkward silence where everybody's like, ooh, no eye contact, don't look at him. He might, I won't call on you. I do promise that. Uh, but my guess is there's been at least one thing over the last few months that sticks out as you think about our, our time in First Peter. We'd love for you to share it with us so that we can all learn from that. Also recognizing that it was the summer. And so there were probably some of those sermons that you missed because you were out on family vacation or traveling or had work and that you might be able to share something with someone that was out from a Sunday that you were there and were able to learn. Please do. <laughs> Thanks, Bennett. Hi, so um, we were actually... Can you stand up and introduce yourself? Ah, <laughs> Hi, I'm Bennett Wilson. I'm a member here. I work in youth group with all these uh, little munchkins over here. Hi, guys. Um, so we kind of reviewed First Peter in the car today because we, we missed... I think we were kids one week, and then we may have missed another week. But it was just so clear that the theme was about suffering. And then there was a verse in chapter 4. It's like, don't be surprised when you endure trials and suffer. And it's like... It makes sense. We really shouldn't be surprised because if, if Jesus is not only our Savior, but who we look up to, it's like he was the standard, and the world said, hey, let's kill that guy. So it's like we shouldn't be surprised, and it's actually a good thing. Like Mark, Mark told me that, and I, I'm, still, I'm still trying to get there, but like, suffering is a good thing. Like We share in Christ's sufferings. We can be closer with him, and yeah, that's what I learned. Thank you, Bennett. Appreciate it. It's not a lot of fun to talk about suffering, especially when the promise is that it's not going to be rare to expect it. Mm, that one's hard. Thanks for sharing that, Bennett. I really appreciate it. What else? Yeah, Deja. Hey, I'm Deja. Um, this is actually my second time going through this sermon series because I think like Tim Schoenfeld said, um, the Village Church down in Texas did it earlier last year and it was really good. And so I was like, okay, God, this is the second time. This is a sign. <laughs> like you really want me to get something out of this. Um, but verse 419 really stood out to me as like kind of, it wraps up everything that I feel like the, uh, the book is talking about. It says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will and trust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And um, earlier this year, I went through a really um, difficult time of suffering. And while I was in it, I really felt the Lord saying, like, you need to focus on others. And what can you do for someone else, like, as you're going through this? And so I really focused on that and then just really focused on he is faithful. Like, regardless of what I feel right now or what I'm going through, like, he is faithful. That's it. Thank you, Deja. I really appreciate that. It's such a powerful reminder. Um, and I think it was probably even the sermon on that passage that, that Mark talked about. There's, in general, two responses to the suffering and how we handle that. And I think, again, it's a challenge to me exactly how you shared of there are those that the suffering leads to sinning, that idea of hurt people hurt people. And so they make choices that, that aren't good in the long term for them or for others. And there are others where that suffering leads to serving, and it's focused on other people, and that hurt people can help people. 
And oh, what a powerful way to flip the narrative around. This is really not an easy season for me right now. This is really, really hard. Uh, but what God can do in the midst of that. Thanks for sharing, Daisha. Really appreciate it. Yeah, Amanda. Hi, my name is. Oh, that's loud. Uh, my name is Amanda Lang. Um, for those that I don't know, um, and most of you probably know, uh, this summer has been a summer of suffering for us after uh, Steve's accident. And somebody corrected the quote: "God won't put you through anything that you can't handle." And it's really God won't put you anything through that he can't handle. And there have been days in the beginning of this where I told Steve, I have nothing left to give. Like, I am at my end. And it, so it was so timely going through First Peter and every week just hearing that reminder of, like, this is, this is what's going to happen while we're here. Like, this is not uncommon. And then through this, we've also just seen how... Like, God has been the one getting us through it and through his church. Like, through Fellowship Nashville, through Christian friends in our community, it has been, like, the big little C church, like, God's church getting us through this and all the people surrounding us and loving us well and just showing me, like, yeah, it's not about me. Like, it, this suffering isn't about me. None of this is about me. This is about God and his redemption and his bigger story. Um, so it's just been great to go through First Peter every week and hear that and just hear, like, don't be surprised when trials come. Like, expect them. And so it's just been really encouraging to me um, throughout this season. So, Thank you, Amanda. Really appreciate it. Yeah, what a great example of, like you said, the church being able to, to serve itself, to serve the body. Uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to come around you all. and grateful that you're doing so well, Steve. Other thoughts? And I know nobody likes to stand up and talk in front of others. We're friends here. We want to be encouraging. We want to be uh, able to learn from each other. Hi, my name's Michael Grant, and we've only been here twice. <laughs> or rather, this is our second time, but we listened to one more sermon online as well. Actually, it was when Mark did taught on 1 Peter 3, and I think he did a really good job of that. But um, for me, 1 Peter 2, the second half, when it talks about being subject to earthly institutions is a really important one for me because, I mean, I work in a tech field where Frankly, my bosses don't believe, or most of my colleagues don't believe in, believe in other things, you know, more importantly, that kind of rub against me. And so um, I'm periodically tested in that, uh, you know, where, they, where I need to find a way to sort of thread the needle between not dishonoring God, but being living sort of in a, at peace with my colleagues, I guess and still being excellent at what I do, like, for, for his sake. And so, to be perfectly, I mean, you know, it's not, I wouldn't say it's suffering, but it's just a good reminder that 
I'm actually expected to come into that kind of friction in the secular world as I do, you know, go about my day. And so um, I really appreciated um, the way, was it Tim, I guess, that preached about that, about how sort of unpacking how countercultural it was at the time. Because it is, like you're saying, I think it's becoming countercultural now, too. So thank you for that. Appreciate it. And I was the one that turned off the light, so if anybody was weirded out by that, that was me. I thought this is the way we always did it, so sorry. Uh, Steve Lang. Um, yeah, you know, it's been a, a challenging uh, season for our family. And, you know, as this happened, I think I've been reflecting a lot about, you know, suffering. And, and I think that when something happens to you, you can either be, you know, angry at God, or you can be grateful and thankful, and so that's just something that I've, you know, chosen to focus on during this season, and, you know, if you believe in the totality of Scripture, you know, it talks about where God, you know, in many instances doesn't waste, you know, pain or suffering, and he's going to use it as part of his grand redemptive plan, but you have a part in that, and so your part in that is your attitude and how you carry yourself, and because people are watching when we go through stuff like this, and how do you handle yourself? And if you handle yourself well, and I think live in a Christ-like way, then it doesn't make sense to people when you do handle it well. And so those are just some things that I'm learning uh, about suffering, and it's just interesting that we're in First Peter as I'm going through this. Thank you, Steve. Uh, hey, pass the light on. Hold on one second. Okay, so... First uh, Peter 2 verse 9 I was flipping through it and it really addressed the two things that I struggle with which is like negative self-talk and um, being loud being like vocal about my faith and it addressed both those things and it says but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light and like, I screw up once, and I'm like, oh, wow, I'm worthless, I'm terrible, I can never do anything right, and this is a really good, like, reminder that that's such a lie from, this, from Satan, and I need to not believe that, and just, you know, proclaiming what I believe in and who saved me to both people who know Jesus who are my friends and people who don't know Jesus who are my friends. And so, you know, I, I, I didn't remember that verse, but then I flipped through it and I saw it and I'm like, wow, that really addressed something, the two things that I struggle with. So, yeah. Wow. Thank you. I, I can't thank you enough for, for sharing that. I think um, if we are honest, we have all felt that way and experienced both of those. Uh, and I really appreciate your courage for putting that out there. Thank you. Yeah, Dave. Yeah, uh, Levi taught last week about First Peter 5, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may lift you up in due time. And, yeah, I just find myself, I wish I could learn this lesson once, but just the idea of I can just tend so much towards self-sufficiency 
trusting in myself, trusting in my own resources, my own abilities. And I'm learning again that all I have, I have limits and I have, um, I can't make anything happen really. Um, but I can trust in God and I can humble myself before him, ask him to use my life and empower me. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of feeling even just convicted sitting here talking about it because I read that verse again just now kind of thinking about it. I'm like, man, that is something I'm having to learn every, <laughs> every year again. I'm kind of reminded, wow, pride has really snuck into my life again. and I'm really doing life kind of on my own when I have access to the God of the universe who has all the power in the world. So I'm just feeling challenged to humble myself and call upon his power and his strength in my life um, in kind of a fresh way today. So, Thanks, Dave. Yeah. None of this encouragement, none of this um, is a call to just do more on our own, um, which is, that's definitely my default. Just put my head down and try to get things done as opposed to really relying on the power of the Spirit to do those things, to change those things. That, that humbling ourselves first is a really critical step that I'll often skip. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. What else? So I'm Jill Guinness. Um, as I was looking back on First Peter, I actually um, opened the Bible app this morning as I was at the dog park, and I listened through the whole book of First Peter a couple of times. And I've, I know I've done that before, but it was just really helpful for me to kind of hear it all in one big swoop again this morning. And I was... A couple of things struck me about First Peter. Um, one, there's just this huge theme, of course, that goes throughout, that we are to, um, to live with hope in a foreign world. And so I was reminded to live with an eternal perspective. Uh, at the beginning of First Peter, I was reminded that um, we've been born again. We have the promise of a living hope, an inheritance in heaven, and a salvation that will be revealed in the last time. So that really just kind of set me in this reminder that heaven's our home and this is not it. Um, another reminder for me was, um, since we're living in this eternal perspective, um, how are we supposed to live different? That was you. okay. No problem. It's okay. How are we supposed to live different? Chapter one, verse twenty-two. All right. Um, love one another with a pure heart. Um, that was a big reminder for me. And then more than that, too, was chapter 2, verse 2. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into your salvation. And that is God's word. And, and the Holy Spirit just nudged me as I was looking at that this morning. Like, like a newborn infant, like this is their life. They can only be sustained by pure milk. And so is that what God's word is to me? Like I need to be running to God's word and craving it like a newborn infant craves milk. And I heard somewhere that God's word is, of course, the primary way that he speaks to us. And then prayer is the primary way that we speak to him. So that's that relationship of receiving from his word and then turning to him in prayer. Um, and it, Again, as I was listening through First Peter this morning, then it came at the end, 5 verse 7, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So my hope, as I reflect back on First Peter, is that I will come back to this like dynamic relationship of digging into God's word to be fed and then casting my anxiety on him.
as well. Love it. Thank you, Jill. For those of you that have either never had a newborn or forget what it's like, we have a lot of newborns in our body right now, which I love. Ask the, those parents what that seeking for that pure, great, hopeful milk is, is like. And that, that should be that longing and that thirst that, that we demonstrate as well. Really appreciate it. And combining that with the casting our anxieties part, Jill, really powerful. What else? In the back. Hi, I'm Sarah. Uh, the first week that I came, it was chapter three on wives submitting <laughs> to your husbands. Welcome. And I am engaged, and the, it was really nice to hear kind of what God actually means by a Christian and faithful marriage because it's really easy to get caught up in what the world thinks Christians view marriage and how it should be the woman is silent and the man is in charge of everything. And that's something personally I've always been worried about and it was nice to hear it in a very reassuring way of what Christ intends for marriage. So that was very positive for me. Wonderful, thank you, Sarah. Appreciate it. All right. While others are thinking, I have a question for you. There were three different animals mentioned in the course of the sermon series that we can have Christian faith like a blank. Three different animals. Mark mentioned two. Tim mentioned one. And I think they're actually really powerful word pictures for the types of Christianity we shouldn't be displaying. Does anybody remember what those were? Yeah. Okay, what, give me the two you got. Perfect. Turtle and chameleon. So the chameleon faith, where we as Christians just blend in with those around us. We don't hold true to what we believe. We just kind of blend in. The turtle where we isolate ourselves from others, from other believers, from other people. Get ourselves away and just hang on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The skunk, number three, that Tim added, which is... I, I love the way you describe it because I think it's also very accurate. And I think I've been all three of these at different times. Um, that a lot of what the world thinks of Christianity right now, especially in our current context, around hate, around being self-righteous, around tone-deaf messaging, around what people, how people view Christians today, especially go out on uh, social media right now and, and see some of the things that are being. And so that we shouldn't be skunks, we shouldn't be chameleons, we shouldn't be turtles, and that actually all three of those are motivated by fear. It's our fear that's motivating us to act in one of those three ways as opposed to having the living hope in us and empowering us to live differently. Anybody else want to share? Thank you all for remembering the animals. Yeah. Okay, I was thinking about, you know when you're looking to buy a car and you start to see that car everywhere you go, you know, but you never really noticed it before. I feel that way a little bit about emotions. Like, it's easy for me to just not be in touch with my emotions. And then when I start to think about it, I start to notice them, if that makes sense. So I feel that way about anxiety. I would never have said I'm an anxious person. I don't connect a ton with that. But then you start to think about it, and you're like, I feel anxious. I feel anxious. So then you read verses in Philippians 4, like, do not be anxious, and 
you can't just tell yourself, don't be anxious. Your body will still be anxious. But I love 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And I think that's just been an invitation to me when I notice I'm feeling anxious. It's a little doorway, an invitation to stop and depend on Jesus and turn to him in that moment. And Lord, I feel anxious. I want to cast this thing on you. And I don't know that it will ever just go away um, in the sense that we just quit feeling anxious, but we get these opportunities all throughout the day to stop and turn to the Lord and abide in him and let go of the thing that we're um, trying to control or fix ourselves. So that's been a gift. Thank you, Lynette. Very much appreciate you sharing that. Any last thoughts that people want to share? Yeah. Um, my name's Bethany, and a verse that really spoke to me from First Peter is probably First Peter 1.25. It says, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And I think in this season of my life, I've just been like thinking a lot about like college and what life after high school would look like. And sometimes that can bring, like, stress. And so it's just good. This is, like, a good reminder that, like, nothing here is temporary. Like, everything in this life, like, won't last. And, like, God is the only thing that's going to be internal, eternal. Excuse me. And so, like, why focus all my energy on, like, things of this world when, like, I know that I have, like, lasting hope in Jesus. Thank you, Bethany. So good. So good. Last call. Anybody? Yeah, there we go, Lee. I um, Lee, uh, just wanted to add what Lynette said about anxiety and about, you know, um, humbling yourself. And that's what it really is, is humbling yourself and trusting God in a, in a new way. Uh, trusting in him is not static. It's dynamic. And it's, you're continuously needing to trust in him because you can't rely on your own abilities. And, and suffering can be external. It can also be internal. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the trust, the humility that that brings is is where you can be changed and transformed. So um, just wanted to add that one little thing there. Thank you, Lee. I really appreciate it. So I hope you were encouraged by some of the things shared by those in the body that they've learned over time. We're going to kind of wrap a bow on 1 Peter. And actually, for the next few minutes, want to turn our attention towards where we're heading next. Probably not super shocking or surprising. We're actually going to go into Second Peter because that makes a lot of sense. And so we actually want to spend the next few minutes. Uh, we did this at the beginning of the First Peter series. So spend the next few minutes with a video from the Bible Project around Second Peter to kind of give the overarching themes and approach. And then we will wrap things up after that. The second letter of Peter. It's addressed to the same network of churches as Peter's first letter. And it's likely written from the same location in Rome. Peter's become aware of the fact that he's going to die soon, and the evidence that we have from early tradition was that Peter was executed by the Roman authorities during the reign of Emperor Nero. And so this letter acts as Peter's farewell speech. He begins by offering a final challenge, that Jesus' followers must be people who never stop growing. And then this is followed by two final warnings about a growing number of corrupt teachers who are leading Christians in these church communities astray, first by their corrupt way of life, and second by their distorted theology. 
Throughout the letter, Peter is countering accusations made by these teachers against himself and the other apostles. And Peter's goal is to restore confidence and order to these church communities. So Peter opens by reminding these churches that through Jesus, God has invited people to become a participant in his own divine nature. That is, to share in God's own eternal life and love, which is mind-blowing. And it requires a lifelong response. To receive this gift means a commitment to developing the same character traits that mark God's own divine nature. Peter lists here seven traits to strive for. And the final one encompasses and crowns all of the others. It's love, which according to Jesus means devoting oneself to the well-being of others, no matter their response or the cost. To love, according to Peter, is to share in God's own life. Peter then states the letter's purpose. It's going to act as a memorial of his teaching that can be passed on to later generations because he's not going to be around to give it much longer in person. So before he dies, he wants to address these objections and accusations being made by the teachers who distort Jesus' teaching and that of the apostles. So Peter first addresses an accusation repeated by the skeptics present and future. Namely, that he and the apostles just made up all of this stuff about Jesus being risen from the dead and king of the world. Jesus isn't really going to come back one day. So Peter offers his eyewitness testimony of the powerful moment of Jesus' transformation on the mountain. Remember the story in Mark chapter 9. The apostles saw Jesus exalted as king, and his resurrection means that he's alive as king and will return to rescue our world one day. And so the future return of Jesus to bring God's kingdom, this will fulfill what all the ancient scriptures have been pointing to all along. The words of the Old Testament prophets. They're not fabricated fantasies. Rather, through these human words of scripture and through the human Jesus, God himself has spoken to us. Peter then moves on to address the threats raised by corrupt leaders in the church, and he focuses on more objections that they raise. So first, these teachers deny the idea of a final reckoning when God's going to hold all people accountable for their choices. And this denial is what conveniently allows the teachers to ignore Jesus's teaching about money and sex, because they're making tons of profit by teaching in the churches, not to mention the fact that they're sleeping around. But Peter reminds the readers that God can and will meet rebellion with his justice. He recalls three ancient examples when God did this. He first mentions the story about the sons of God in Genesis 6, as it was interpreted in a popular Jewish work of the time called First Enoch. First Enoch says the sons of God are rebellious angels who crossed the line and slept with women, earning God's judgment. Peter then brings up the story of the ancient flood and then the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. In each case, there was a rebellion that led to divine judgment. But, Peter says, God was always faithful to deliver his people, and he uses the story of Lot to provide an example. Peter then connects these ancient stories to the teacher's corrupt way of life. They too are after money and sex, they despise God's authority, and they lead other people to think that God doesn't care about moral decisions. He says they teach a message of Christian freedom and use it as a license to do whatever they want. And this is why Peter's going to bring up Paul's letters later on in chapter 3. It appears that these teachers have distorted Paul's message of liberation in Christ. But that's not the kind of freedom Paul meant. And Peter makes clear that these teachers are not really free. In reality, they're slaves to their bodily impulses. 
And the fact that they're Christians makes it even more tragic because knowing Jesus' teaching makes them doubly accountable. They have become pitiful examples of the ancient proverb about a dog returning to its vomit and a washed pig going back to the mud. Peter then addresses the reasoning behind the teacher's denial of the final reckoning. They say generations of God's people keep coming and passing away without seeing the fulfillment of their hopes. Where is this promised return of Jesus? Peter responds by showing how short-sighted this objection is. Look around, he says, at this remarkable universe that we inhabit. The fact that we exist at all means that at some moment in the past, God's word intervened in a dramatic way to bring something out of nothing and to bring order out of chaos, and he can do so again. And so the real question is, why is God taking so long? But Peter reminds us that our human conception of time is extremely limited. The long expanses of time through which God works don't fit neatly into the framework of our very short lives. These long amounts of time are actually a sign of God's patience because each generation is offered the chance to recognize its own selfishness, to humble itself and repent before God's generous grace. And God's grace will bring the story to a close on the day of the Lord. Here Peter draws upon the prophetic poetry of Isaiah and Zephaniah, who describe the day of God's justice as a consuming fire. Peter says, the heavens will pass away and the stoicheia will melt by fire. This is a Greek word that could refer to the elements, in which case it means the dissolution of the material universe, or more likely, it refers to heavenly bodies, in other words, the stars. That's what this word means in Isaiah chapter 34, where Peter is quoting from. And in that case, this line is a metaphor about the sky being peeled back, so to speak, before the God who sees all. And so this is why Peter says the day of the Lord will result in the earth and all its works being exposed. The ultimate purpose of God's consuming justice is not to scrap the material universe. Rather, it's to expose evil and injustice and remove it so that a new kind of heavens and earth can emerge, one that is permeated with righteousness, full of God's love and people who know and love God and love their neighbor as themselves. Peter concludes by saying this is the true Christian hope that Jesus and all the apostles have been announcing, including Paul, whose writings can be misunderstood if you rip them out of context, but all the apostles are on the same page. And so Peter ends his final address to the church. Now, the tone of 2 Peter, it feels really intense, but his passion comes from a firm conviction that God loves this world and he's determined to rescue it through Jesus. And so this means that God's love must confront and deal with the sin and injustice that ruins his beloved world. And in God's own time, he will do so, opening up a new future for humanity and for the universe itself. And so Second Peter has a wide, expansive vision of hope for the whole world, and it challenges us to examine our everyday lives. That's what the second letter of Peter is all about. All right. I hope that gets you as excited as I am for the next series that we're going to be diving into. Let me pray. Lord, I'm so grateful for this morning for the chance for us to spend time together sharing the things you've taught us. You are such a good, holy, amazing, wonderful God, and you love us so deeply. And that should impact the way we live moment to moment, not out of our own efforts, 
but empowered by your spirit. I pray that you will give us that sense of living hope that can only come from you. I pray that you will allow us to humble ourselves to rest in that strength that you provide for us. Ah, that amazing hope. We are so grateful for that. In your name we pray. Amen.